This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's the Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Last off, good morning, Rutherford County. Got uh, my buddy, Mr. Greg Tucker, and he looks a little tired this morning. I think he must have celebrated a little late last night uh, with his family. I know I celebrated, but uh, when I got home yesterday evening, I was so full I couldn't move, and... Uh, it was, it, the celebration was out of this world. We were over with my brother Mike Jones and Robbie and, uh, they took care of us and the, the Jones family, there are a ton of us, believe me. And we are still, we're still going, still kicking. And what about you, Greg? What did you do? Well, we started our celebration, uh, very appropriately on Friday night with a concert, outdoor concert, over at the Fountains, uh-huh. which is an interesting venue. Uh, a performance of the, well, today we call it the Tennessee Philharmonic Orchestra, oh, our wow. Murfreesboro Symphony Orchestra. And uh, the program was, appropriately, uh, almost 100% patriotic tunes, very familiar tunes, and a uh, big Good crowd. The weather was absolutely perfect. We took our folding chairs and sat with friends and enjoyed the music very much and kind of a, a kickoff for the, for the holiday weekend. Yeah. And I noticed the crowd was, uh, unusual. It was a lot of young families with small children. And I learned later that after our program concluded about 7.30, 8 o'clock, Right about dark, they were going to show movies. Yeah, and they were doing family family movies. You see my night. little buddy Regina over there. No, was she over there? Yeah, yeah. She well, just, she she told me she was going over and watched the movies. Yeah, well, uh, they had a full a full schedule that night because I think our program started about six and was over about seven thirty. Oh. And uh, but as uh, well, they did turn the fountains off. They had a cute little array of holes in the ground and i guess it's on some kind of computer that the water squirts up over here and then squirts up over there i watched this little fella he had claimed him one of the holes and he had stand there he's about three years old stare at the hole water would come up oh he'd play and he'd get all excited and then after a few seconds he'd disappear again he'd stand there and stare at his hole where the water go yeah they were cute but uh 
and they had their time after after we enjoyed ours. But that was the kickoff on Friday, and uh, got got us in the mood, and we ended up having a rather quiet uh, fourth. Uh, and I guess I should wish you a happy July 5th, which is our holiday today, which I really noticed when I drove in from out in the country and got in town. There was no traffic. None at all this morning. You're exactly right. Yeah, very, very uh, kind of a last time I had that experience was in the depths of the lockdown, which was also strange because it was the middle of the day of a work day and there was no traffic. but I thought the restaurants would be open this morning. And I was totally shocked when I drove up to uh, Sylvan Park and there were no cars around anywhere. Mm. So, uh. Well, they were closed. Yeah. Huh? So I went over to, you know, McDonald's is going to be open. So yeah. I went over and got an egg McMuffin and, and a coffee and, and went back and read my newspaper that I picked up. Well, let me do a, a Promotion, one of my favorite organizations in the area, the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution. Oh, just love them. The uh, Hardy Murphy chapter. Yeah. Today at 10 o'clock, unfortunately it overlaps with our little exercise here, but today at 10 o'clock they do their program called Road to Independence yeah. on the campus of the old courthouse downtown, and it involves some reading and some singing and some... Uh, uh, all patriotic uh, uh, references to our, our country, this free country. And uh, probably go on for about 30 minutes. And uh, if you're in the downtown area or you you want to sit through an interesting program, 10 o'clock, you know, about 45 minutes from now, on the grounds of the courthouse. And uh, I'm sorry I hadn't planned to be there. I know we planned to do this. Because I've recently had uh, some occasion to be uh, flattered and honored by the Daughters of the American Revolution yeah. for our work to preserve some of our local history. Uh, but I hope they have a good turnout this I morning. If Dalton will let us leave a little early to go over there. Because I hate to miss it. Those ladies, they do such a great job. But anything patriotic, I want to be a part of. Let me go back to the uh, Philharmonic, the Mercer Symphony Orchestra. They are going to resume their schedule of programs. The first program will be probably Veterans Day. Uh, And then after that, there will be the traditional Christmas program. And uh, uh, those who were in the habit, like uh, some of us were, of uh, season tickets going to all the programs, uh, it will resume this fall. And uh, from what I heard uh, last Friday, they're in good shape. They hadn't lost any ground. They still sound real good. But where will it? What, what, where will the venue be? That's interesting. I believe it's going to be uh, at the Baptist Church there on Northfield, the huge church. I forget. Uh, is, it, is it Bel Air? Bel Air Baptist Church uh, on Northfield. Uh-huh. That'd be, that that would be a good venue. Yeah. But I will miss the sound that the, the Methodist Church had over there. It was it was almost perfect. Well, and I, I love to go there, and it it was one of those places that would invite. Uh, it had an, an invite to it that you, you didn't want to miss. Well, apparently it was time to move on, and after looking around some the. Uh, 
the uh, people who uh, operate our orchestra mm-hmm. have decided on this location. So I suspect we'll have some some good sound effects as well. Well, now, you are still going to be over at the Methodist Church when you do your uh, lessons and learning or whatever the title is. Yeah, that's resuming also. We missed last year the Adventures in Learning, yeah. which is con- uh, uh, every Monday for three weeks after Labor Day, mm-hmm. and that is at the Methodist Church out on uh, Thompson Lane, Yeah, uh, the first Methodist Church. And we will, as always, be talking about uh, our local history and how we've changed and, and evolved over time. And uh, I enjoy doing that. I do it rather extemporaneously. So people ask me, well, what are we going to talk about? I'm not real sure, except it will relate to our our local history. Well, you've changed from one. I've been there every time that you've done your uh, adventures. And what's all adventures about that? I mean, adventures in learning. I didn't name the program. I just <laughs> one of the speakers, yeah. and only one. I mean, there's a, an array of uh, presentations available, uh, everything from self-help kind of programs to learning a new skill, like how to how to work with a computer, uh, to the history programs and the literature programs. So. Uh, if uh, someone wants more information, contact the uh, office at the Methodist Church, mm-hmm. and they can at least tell you who to talk to, how to register. Almost every time I've been there, it's been packed. You you draw a big crowd every time that, that you show up. Well, I've lost track, but I've been doing it probably about 12 years, and... Uh, uh, I confess usually that uh, I may be repeating myself that uh, I've forgotten by now what I did several years ago. One of my friends in the audience says, don't worry about it, Greg. We forgot what you did yesterday. So Most of us are have got a little bit of age on us. I mean, <laughs> it's been special. Well, given the timing of it, we're targeting a senior audience because it is... Monday morning during the work day, work week. Uh, but we do still get quite a turnout. Enjoy that. What is, what, what is your favorite of all the subjects that you have touched along the line? Don't give me that eyebrow drawing together. Uh, there has to be at least uh, a top five uh, of the subjects that you bring forward to everybody. Uh, the origins of uh, the county. Origins of uh, our county seat, Murfreesboro. I'm not sure it's a favorite, but it's one that they always were always are interested in. Yeah. Uh, But personalities, uh, and there have been quite a few fascinating personalities in our history. I enjoy, in particular, the Depression era. And uh, I enjoy reminding people about the stress of the World War II era. And uh, we usually work all that in somehow. What about uh, when the courthouse was taken over by the people, the northern aggressors? Well, the uh, war period in the 1860s gets a lot of attention, a lot of yeah. questions. And uh, 
Uh, even today, I'm still learning and discovering things about that period uh, and uh, enjoy sharing that. And if I open it up for general questions, uh, I'll always get questions about that period. Yeah. And uh, uh, some concern that uh, it's being taught differently now from what we learn. And in some ways, that's good if we can be more accurate. But... Uh, in some ways, it's uh, being used to advance current interests, and, you know, we have to resist that. You know, it, it, it's so strange to me that uh, uh, trying to supposedly join people back together seems to be pushing them further apart. And it, 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 it's it's one of those things that, if you have lived around here for your whole life, and, and many of us have been here for an extremely long time, um, we had friends all the way across the board when we're talking about uh, ethnic groups. And it, it, it bothers me when, when you have outside groups trying to... Um, um, manipulate the relationships that we have here. I mean, each individual person um, has his own uh, uh, groups of friends, and we we never have. I, I know when I was in the service, uh, there were so many people from all across the world when, when I was in the service and had friends from all of them. It didn't matter where they came from or anything like that. It's just, uh, when people f- try to change your thoughts and, uh, have no idea, uh, of the groups of people that you, uh, welcome into your life and then they, they start to Pound on you, you might say. That's one of the reasons I, I gave up uh, television. I, I just couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> and uh, I don't want anybody trying to tell me who my friends are or, or well, where they came from or anything like that. Well, on Saturday, I had a excellent opportunity. enjoyed very much to catch up with friends from long, long ago. But also, it... Uh, illustrated to us how things have changed yeah. and are continuing to change. What specifically was going on, and this very much uh, relates to our local Rutherford County history, uh, it was Boy Scouts of America, yeah. and in particular the Boy Scouts of Middle Tennessee. Uh, some I have a historian friend up at the Cumberland University who's writing a book on uh, scouting in this area, and in particular the scout camp which by name has served, he figured out, 100 years as of this year, this summer. Wow. <clears throat> Many of you have heard the, the phrase Boxwell Reservation. Mm-hmm. It was in 1921 that uh, uh, leaders in Nashville organized a Nashville, we call it a council, Boy Scout Council, uh, and set up a camp in Davidson County, serving only Davidson County Nashville kids that were part of the program at the time. And it was in a little community called Linden, which is uh, other side, west of Bellevue, 
before you get into the Williamson County. It's a, it's in Davidson County. And they, the leaders of the program at the time convinced a farmer out there to essentially loan them about four acres. And the principal volunteer who put an awful lot of money behind it for that period and actually drove the bus that carried the kids out there every week was a fellow named L.G. Boxwell. And he was, by the standards of the 1920s, uh, a rich man. His business was uh, building supplies, but in particular he was making and selling what we are so common today, uh, concrete block. And uh, the successors of his company still around. Uh, so they called it uh, Mr. Boxwell's Camp at the time. And uh, continued there in Linden for about 10 years, serving about 80 kids a week, all bust in from uh, Nashville. And uh, the emphasis was on physical fitness and outdoor activity, outdoor training. Uh, they had... Uh, I think they said there was about eight or ten tents, large tents, and they'd have seven or eight kids in each in each tent. <coughs> After ten years, Mr. Foxwell and others decided they needed something uh, a little more dramatic and larger, and they made arrangements with a fellow named uh, Potter, P-O-T-T-E-R, nicknamed Jet, Jet Potter, Again, one of the wealthiest men probably in the state at the time. He controlled the coal supply uh, in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I had come across the name many times. I, I knew some of the family. In fact, our controller until recently and maybe still was one of the potters. Uh, so they, they poured coal down our chute when we lived in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he supplied Mr. Potter, the original, supplied uh, all the coal for Vanderbilt University campus free mm-hmm. to the university back in those days as well. But anyway, he owned property which we called the Narrows. It's where the Harpeth River made a very sharp hairpin kind of turn. And uh, back uh, in the early 1800s, uh, using, I'm sure, slave labor, a tunnel was cut through the mountain that it was going around. So the water went through, part of the water went through the mountain, and they set up a mill there where they diverted the water flow. Uh, well, Potter owned the property and, again, made it available to the scouts uh, for a larger camp. And we call that Boxville on the Narrows, and uh, I don't think anybody living today was involved with that directly. This would have been during the 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, after World War II, it became evident that uh, the expansion, and that's what part of what was going on in our history uh, lesson uh, on Saturday, uh, following the war, there was such a rapid expansion of uh, scouting and population in this area that they needed even a larger camp. And the third Boxwell camp was up on the uh, Rock Island area. And as a, as a boy, that's where I went to camp. And then uh, in the late 50s, uh, again, to meet the demand, uh, the fourth Boxwell 
was opened up uh, on Old Hickory Lake, and that's the one that's still in use today. And uh, so we were acknowledging what's that, uh, 1960 was when camping started there. So that's 40, 50, 60, 61 years at this one camp, uh, which will continue apparently. Uh, it's ironic, but perhaps fitting, that this gathering which was all all of us who were previously staff, camp staff, camp counselors, were invited to a reunion. Uh, happened just about the almost to the day that the Boy Scouts settled uh, their bankruptcy, mm-hmm. uh, which had been forced by these uh, allegations of child abuse and such. Uh, so maybe the scouting. Turn around and and begin to recover some of its its uh, ability to provide services would be different. But let me drop back. The uh, uh, celebration was folk focused on 100 years of Boy Scout camping in Middle Tennessee, and uh, this is where our experience here is is interesting. It began in Nashville in 1921 when they got a charter from the national organization to provide the scouting program for the Nashville youth. The second program in Middle Tennessee was down in Tullahoma. The, uh, some leaders in Tullahoma again got a charter separate from Nashville, and they set up uh, the Davy Crockett Council, they called it. The council in Nashville was simply called the Nashville Council. And uh, in Tullahoma, they built the first uh, camp down there called Camp Fisher, which was over near Manchester. And uh, the scouting program in Rutherford County kicked off about 1930, 31, and didn't have a camp. So we used, we, the Rutherford County program, used Camp Fisher down near Manchester. Mm-hmm. And, oh, ten years ago, I had occasion to interview a fellow who actually was a Boy Scout down there, Tom Cannon, Tom Cannon the Fourth. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was talking, he told me about the activities there and what they did and how that went on for a couple of years. And uh, then uh, Murray County, Columbia, organized a council about the same time. And they decided to call their council the Middle Tennessee Council. So the phrase now for the organization that services Rutherford County and all of Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee Council, did not start with the Nashville group. It began in Columbia. 1948, everybody was struggling financially, charities and such. Uh, the new chief executive for the Nashville Council saw that in order to survive, there needed to be a larger mass of uh, kids available and also sources of funding. So it began a process of consolidating Middle Tennessee. And uh, Rutherford County had its own council and its own camp, and uh, all of it was consolidated in 1948 so that all of Middle Tennessee counties formed one council, one source of program. And drop back and look at Rutherford County. In about 1931, a group of uh, men leaders in this area decided that Rutherford County should have its own Boy Scout program. 
and was of such popularity that whenever the scouts planned a camp out or a program, it was on the front page of two newspapers. Daily News Journal, Rutherford Courier, would cover the scout activity as you know, major uh, local news. Yeah. And uh, one of the most active leaders, most dedicated, was uh, the head of the electric power company servicing here. It was then called Tennessee Electric Power Company, and it had a division that served Rutherford County. And uh, let's see if I can spot his name here. He uh, was the head of that, and uh, he decided that uh, going down to Camp Fisher wasn't uh, the best way to handle the program. He wanted a camp in Rutherford County so the Boy Scouts could stay in the county and do their summer camping and their programs. And he had a good friend uh, that was a uh, farmer over on the east side of the county, and he had property right on what was the reservoir behind the dam uh, at Brown's Mill. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and the fellow's name Last was... Last area. Yeah, the farmer's name was uh, Guy James. Yeah. Guy James. He approached Guy James and said, uh, could you let us use for the scout program some of your property that's right there on the... Uh, water impoundment so we could do our swimming activity and also have room for others. Mm-hmm. And Guy James, that's Guy James Sr., uh, was a man of ideas. And he said, well, you know, we might be able to work that out, but uh, we really need some electricity in this area. Mm-hmm. At this time, the early 1930s, there was no electricity in the east side of the county. Murfreesboro was electrified, and it was growing uh, but TVA hadn't really come in yet, hadn't come in yet. Uh, subsequently, TEPCO was forced into a merger with TVA, mm-hmm. and uh, the scout leader at the time became the head of uh, the Murfreesboro Electric Department. But in any event, dealing with Guy James, it was obvious what James was looking for. So within a couple of months, the Guy James farm had electricity for their dairy operation and and the house and such there. Now, what year was it that? Been about 1931. Wow. Yeah. So one of the earliest rural areas, if not the first rural area in uh, Rutherford County to be electrified, was out near the the Browns Mill. Now, uh, wasn't read uh, readable? Uh, didn't he put in an operation there for electricity? He being the same character, any any electric development, uh, Watson was his name, last name. Uh, we, we didn't have electricity until it was uh, almost 1950. That's right. So you can see 20 years before, yeah. <clears throat> Guy James Sr. had electricity there for his farm through this arrangement with the scout, the local scout organization. Wow. And they built about eight or ten well, we might call a lean-to, but shelters that the scouts could use, mm-hmm. and then built a very nice uh, lodge uh, overlooking the the Stones River East Fork there. Had a big, huge fireplace, mm-hmm. and part of the way they funded the program was a summer camping program that was used during the year by individual scout groups. But they also made it available to church groups, 
even family reunions, things of that sort. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, so a lot of people remember using it, uh, even though they were not part of the scouting program. Uh, unfortunately, it burned, what was that, probably in the early 50s. And uh, so the lodge disappeared. And by that time, the scouting program for Middle Tennessee had established its camp up uh, in the Rock Island area. So, Which was a great place for it. Oh, yeah. Rock Island was... was beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I can remember camping there as a kid. Uh, but uh, the uh, facility that was the scout lodge on the camp... And it's interesting, the name of the camp was, for most people, the Boy Scout Camp. Mm-hmm. They just referred to it generally. But the kids came up with a name. They called their camp Mullywat, M-U-L-L-Y-W-A-T-T. And I have found that reference in the newspaper accounts of scout activity. They talk about Camp Mullywat. And uh, I've talked with several, no longer with us now, but uh, a few years ago, who remember camping there, and I said, why Mully what? And none of them knew for sure, but the speculation was, well, we knew about the electricity, and it may have had something to do with that. Or since Watson was the name of the uh, uh, fellow who worked out the deal to get to camp yeah. there, perhaps some part of his name, Watson, came into Camp Mully Watt. Let's take a break. Yeah, let's figure out what Mully Watt is while we're breaking be right back with you. Hello, this is Greg Tidwell from Bell Jewelers in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I think the main draw of why people come to Bell Jewelers is they are referred by their neighbors. People want to know who they can trust, and Bell Jewelers gets that call quite a bit. And we're very proud of it, and we take it very serious. Come by and see us at Bell Jewelers at 821 Northwest Broad Street. We're across the street from Tooth. We're open 10 to 6 during the week, 10 to 5 on Saturday, and close most Sundays. Take a moment and rate your lifestyle on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is a life that's nothing like the life you were promised after getting good grades, a college degree, and a good job in corporate America. 10 is the life of your dreams. If you answered anything less than a 10, tune into the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell, self-made millionaire and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, will show you how to live the life of your dreams and pay for it with passive income. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show, Monday through Saturday, 11 to noon, right here on News Radio WGNS. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. If you're not waking up the Wake Up Crew, here's what you've been missing. I tip my cap to you, sir. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. Speaking of tipping our cat, tip our cat for her. That's <laughs> waking you up with news, traffic, weather, oh, and man. fun. How can you talk without a brain, Dalton? Let's go to you for an update. <laughs> Don't miss the Wake Up Crew with John, Brian, and Dalton. What is it like not to be able to talk without a brain? <laughs> Weekday mornings from 6 until Swap and Shot. That's you guys. <laughs> Now, an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. The owner of an unlocked minivan fell victim to theft. That led to a case of credit card fraud in Murfreesboro. 
Now detectives are trying to track down the two suspects who took the bank cards and ran up $500 in fraudulent charges and took $80 in cash out of the van. There are pictures of the suspects at WGNSRadio.com and contact a number to call if you think you know who they might be. Michelle Emerson has been named the first female city engineer for the city of Murfreesboro after four years serving in the engineering division, including assistant city engineer and project engineer. Emerson joined the city of Murfreesboro engineering division as a project engineer in March of 2017 with 26 years of engineering experience, including 13 years with St. John Engineering in Manchester. Emerson was previously promoted to assistant city engineer in August of 2018. There are dozens of fireworks displays planned across the Volunteer State this weekend, and officials advise not to bring a pet to any of them. Animal care experts around Tennessee urge people to keep their pets safe by keeping them at home. Dogs and cats will be much calmer in a familiar room with the curtains closed and soft music or soothing sounds. Some pet owners find an anxiety-reducing vest a good remedy, and you might want to consider a sedative if your pet has a history of anxiety. The average price for regular gas in Tennessee is four cents a gallon higher compared to a week ago. AAA says drivers across the state are paying two dollars and eighty-eight cents a gallon on this holiday weekend. The national average up four cents to three twelve. The price of the pump is the highest in Williamson County at three oh eight a gallon. News on demand twenty-four-seven at our website wgnsradio.com or follow us on Twitter at WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Congratulations, you've retired. You might not be going into the office anymore, but you're finding that between the cleaning, the laundry, the lawn care, all of your home maintenance chores, you're still putting in a day's work every day. By moving to Adams Place Independent Living, the staff takes care of all that for you. Go to adamsplace.org to learn more or find us on Facebook. Adams Place. Steered Straight now has two thrift stores, 845 Middle Tennessee Boulevard and 903 Mercury Boulevard. We opened up a second store, 903 Mercury Boulevard, which is going to be renamed Martin Luther King Boulevard. And it's furniture and thrift store, too. So now we have two stores. Michael DeLeon with Steered Straight Thrift Stores. We have an antique and collectible room. A guy came in yesterday and said we had a statue down there from 1964 of Charlie Chaplin. And I've been looking for this statue for like 20 years. 845 Middle Tennessee Boulevard and 903 Mercury Boulevard. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. Mostly sunny skies here this afternoon, high in the mid-90s. Southeast winds of 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy and a low near 70. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Vujitsky on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 7. Classic kid movies are back this summer at Premier 6 on Broad in Jackson Heights. $5 tickets include admission, drink, popcorn, and candy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes for classic kid movies all summer. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.
Good job. Well, uh, we're counted back on the air. Yeah, we're back on the air. One thing is, it's always uh, uh, kind of caught my attention with the Boy Scouts is a lot of the leadership in this country went through the Boy Scouts. They learned responsibilities and uh, how to get along socially with everybody. It was really uh, one of those things that it, w- w- your mom and dad were very happy to see you join the Boy Scouts back in the, those days. And we had responsible leadership in this area. Well, the 50s and 60s were probably the the best years. By the end of the 60s, things were changing. Yeah. Uh, the name I couldn't quite come up with was Clarence Watson. He was head of local operations for the power company here. Mm-hmm. And he was dealing with Guy James Sr., uh, the dairy farmer. Uh, another interesting name, the what we came to call the scoutmaster role uh, back in the early 30s when the Rutherford boys were camping down uh, in, near Manchester, Camp Fisher. The uh, troop leader was Baxter Hobgood. Oh, wow. Yeah, he made quite a contribution to education in this well, area. He certainly did. He and his wife both. <clears throat> uh, and Tom Moore, a Murfreesboro insurance agent, actually worked as the camp director, taking time off during the summer to to uh, operate the camp down there at Camp Fisher. And if you go to the Boxwell of today, the reservation up uh, uh, near Gallatin, uh, before you cross the river, uh, a significant part of the camp is called the Percy Dempsey Campery area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Percy Dempsey, a friend of mine, I worked with him a good bit before his, before he left us, uh, for many years was the leading scoutmaster in, uh, Murfreesboro. Had a very strong troop and camped every year up at, uh, Boxwell during that time. And, uh, I'm sure he made a uh, contribution financially, but he's really recognized because of the many years of working with the camp and helping develop the camp uh, through his own use with his own troop. Yeah. And something that molded young men back in those days, uh, and it was one of the more popular uh, uh, groups that the young people could go with and and full support of their parents and, and the leadership in, in almost every area that you could think of, not only just here, but pretty much across the country. Uh, it, it was one of those things that uh, uh, you never worried at all about your young people and, and the direction that they were going to go during that time. Well, uh, during the 60s, among the my contemporaries that uh, were in scouting, I'd say at least a half dozen went in as professional scouts. Mm-hmm. And uh, this marked what I think is where problems began to really arise. Up through the 50s and 60s, scouting was focused on delivering a program to the membership. Uh, in 1970, 71, mm-hmm. the national leadership uh, essentially changed the role of the professional staff away from program. And it made logical sense at the time to let the volunteers do the program. Mm-hmm. But they started what we now use almost as a, a negative term, the boy power era, 
where the emphasis was on membership numbers and numbers of dollars raised. Mm -hmm. So the professional staffs all had to concentrate on that and uh, actually set up what I can personally remember encountering time to time, conflict between volunteers who were trying to develop, maintain program and the professional staff who were trying to build members, which is money, and donations. Uh, and, you know, they had their targets. And we began to see in the early 70s an erosion of program that many of us felt were critical. For instance, there were requirements to become uh, an Eagle Scout, the highest rank, uh, the highest recognition in scouting for the boy. You had to learn to swim. Yeah. You had to take a course in life-saving. You had to pass a personal fitness uh, test, which included running a certain distance in a certain time, number of pull-ups, number of sit-ups, you know, very much physically oriented. And those requirements were changed. In the case of swimming, it was made an optional. So you could, in the mid-70s on up for a decade or so, you could become an Eagle Scout without ever learning to swim. Well, those of us doing the volunteer work in scouting were really offended by this because the founder of scouting, Baden-Powell, we had his quote, essentially said, you can't be a first-class scout unless you can handle and take care of yourself in the water yeah. and be able to help others. And that was a mantra we had you know, lived by from the, from the beginning in 1910. And uh, it was not until the mid-80s mid, mid uh, 80s that we got swimming back into the program. And even then, we had to compromise and make it an optional choice. You could either do swimming, cycling, or hiking. Eventually, in the 90s, and I was personally very much involved, we got it in as a requirement. You've got to learn to swim yeah. uh, to, to go through scouting. Um, but they began this in order to inflate the membership, and there was quite a bit of questionable numbers during that period in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we want every boy to be a Boy Scout. We want every boy to be an Eagle, and let's make it easier and easier. Uh, on the other side, uh, a new requirement was put in, and that was the uh, public service project, a good addition where there's an Eagle Scout project that has to be completed. Mm -hmm. But that began to be the uh, tail wagging the dog because now that's almost the total program is to do your Eagle Scout public service project. So things like personal fitness and uh, uh, certain skills became secondary. And, uh, yes, there's been a lot of good work done on these Eagle Scout projects. But what we gave up in terms of personal development <clears throat> and even, oh, I can remember in the 90s having uh, an Eagle Scout tell me, well, I always enjoyed the games, but all this flag waving and, and such, I never really caught on to that. Of course, patriotism was the, in the 50s, 60s, was the backbone of scouting. Yeah. And uh, you remember that scouting began as kind of a uh, preliminary to military training. It was. Uh, Lord Baden-Powell was a military uh, hero in, 
in Europe and decided in England decided that uh, program preparing boys for future military service was what he wanted to develop and he did uh, and of course it has been less and less militaristic uh, uh, even into the 50s and 60s it's but, changed the entire culture of this country yeah yeah had that kind of effect uh, and I enjoy when I used to speak to uh, scout groups I would throw in uh, uh, a quiz and ask uh, who can tell me what requirement that I had to pass to get through the ranks of a Boy Scout today is illegal and in some circumstances even a federal crime. And uh, everybody looks kind of like, no, we're not going there. I said, you remember in second class requirements for scouting, which we all most every scout got to be a first class, which means you went through that. Mm-hmm. You had to learn how to stalk, how to follow someone without being detected. Yeah. And that was a carryover from the survival skills or the military skills. Uh, and that disappeared in the early 70s. Uh, another one was uh, the silent swim. You learned how to move through the water and to get in and out of the water without making any noise. Wow. And we played games called the silent swim where the instructor would turn his back and stand on the edge of the dock and the boy would start up on the bank and he'd have to ease into the water, move through maybe 50 feet of water, get to the dock and reach up and slap the guard on the back of the leg before the guard hurt him. It's a guard hurting me. I think Royce Taylor was a Boy Scout. I'll bet you he was. Oh, probably was. Yeah. Uh, but the silence it was, again, that military survival skill yeah. that uh, disappeared in the early 70s. You know, it, it's what in the world causes our country to change so rapidly? Uh, it, it really doesn't make any sense to me how all of these... Uh, there's always groups of people that want to weaken our country and, 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 and they look at where a lot of the strength comes from and then, and they'll point at something like the Boy Scouts was, uh, that's where, uh, our leadership, a lot of our leadership was able to come from, uh, the, the, the real strength. Well, I remember the astronauts, numbers of the early astronauts were always, on their resume that they were Eagle Scouts. John Glenn was an Eagle Scout. Uh, And uh, Gerald Ford, that was part of uh, his resume always, his scouting experience. Uh, Let me mention a couple of people I don't want to overlook, uh, changing the subject. I talked last week with uh, uh, my source for Smyrna history, Marty Luffman, and just on the telephone I could tell Marty was coming back and has gotten very determined and I said, okay, now, what's our, what's our objective? And he said, uh, September, he wants to be independent again. Ah. And able to do his movements without having to be moved by. He said he's regained feeling in his, in his legs. He doesn't yet, as of last week, have control where he can get up on his own. He has to be helped. He's tough. At this point, but yeah, yeah he, he sounded like, uh, He's he's got uh, he's got a hold of it and he's gonna gonna get through it and uh, he's moved to another facility which he said is perhaps a more intense 
uh, rehab therapy than he was doing. And he said they, they make you hurt. Uh, but at the end of the day, after the therapy staff has gone home and it's bedtime, he's doing his own therapy routine, flexing and moving on his own. Uh, that's our boy. That's our boy. So we know, we know he's coming back there. And, uh, Touching on the scouts again, I'm going to ask for help, particularly some people in maybe the Smyrna area. There was a fella my age, maybe a year older, maybe a year younger, who uh, uh, when he turned 18, he joined the U.S. Marines. And he was always a little bit of a sloppy fat kid. And he wrote to us from uh, a base in California extremely proud because the Marines had put him into the uh, overweight program and turned him into a real, as he said, a real animal. And uh, this was in the Vietnam era, so we knew what was going to happen. He was going to be in Vietnam. We've lost track of him. We've been trying to find him since uh, the first reunion back in the 80s. Now, he was an original person from uh, his His troop affiliation was in Smyrna. Yeah. His father was military. He had a younger brother named Bob, but this was Bill, William Bonham, B-O-N-H-A-M. If there's anybody out there who remembers Bill from school, I assume he was in school in Smyrna. I know he was my age, so he would have been graduating from high school in 63, 64, 65. And, uh, I went to, first time I visited the Vietnam Monument in Washington, D.C., I went looking for his name and couldn't find his name. Uh, so if he was killed in Vietnam, it was one of those MIAs that's never been proven one way or the other. Yeah. But uh, Rutherford County, Smyrna, Bill Bonham, B-O-N-H-A-M, was one of my close friends there. Have you ever talked to Coon Victory about that? No, just... Coon would be just a little bit uh, older, but not much. Well, the reunion on Saturday, we all, of course, remember Bill. Uh, He was quite exceptional. Could hold his breath longer than any of us. Uh, So we'd bring him down to help us clean up the bottom of the swimming area before we started the program. Uh, An interesting fellow. Where where did you guys learn to swim over there? Was in the river? Was one of the rivers? Well, at the uh, Boxville, it still is Boxville up near Gallatin. We swam in Old Hickory Lake, which today, if it News was radio, radio, WGNS, uh, swimming activity, probably wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be approved it. because the water is so turbid, yeah, cloudy. It is. Uh, I know when a child would jump in and uh, flounder, and go down, you couldn't see him at all. Of course, we learned how to deal with that and be prepared, so we never had a an accident or an incident mm-hmm. in the water uh, at that camp, at least not in the 60s when I was involved. Uh, but the water is dangerous in some areas because of the depth. Yeah. Uh, there's one of the swimming areas up there that used to be 15, 16, 18 feet deep, which is much too deep because you can't do an underwater recovery in that kind of water. And uh, then, of course, it was so turbid you couldn't see anything anyway. Uh, but 
we uh, we ran a tight enough program that we never had any real scare or incident. Uh, but I think back now, the for instance, underwater object recovery, we did that. Yeah. And the, the boy would go down, and no sense opening your eyes, you can't see anything. He would, by feel, find whatever we were putting on the bottom as part of his training to make underwater recovery. Uh, if you get me started talking about aquatics and swimming, I go too far because I even served as national chairman of the aquatics program, developed the aquatics program and the scouts when we were coming back with the swimming and such in the 90s, 1990s. I can't imagine anything that you could do that would have more responsibilities. There's no telling how many of those scouts have saved people over the years, people who are having problems. I continued to train the aquatics leadership until the year 2000. And I heard many stories about how, yeah, we learned this particular, and then sure enough, I was in so-and-so and my mother or my sister or my friend, and I knew what to do and so on. Uh, during my tenure as the national chairman, we introduced the uh, CPR. The Boy Scouts were in the early uh, 1980s still doing artificial resuscitation, a le- less effective method of uh, resuscitation and uh, we made CPR uh, cardiac pulmonary resuscitation part of the program and now it's still taught at all levels in scouting you know w- when you talk about uh, doing away with a lot of the programs in, in Boy Scouts it pretty much went across the board as I had said earlier I remember when uh the the people who were the best athletes, the the young kids, they would go out for uh, playing baseball, uh, particular in in this area, and it, it was only the real elite young people playing ball. It, it taught them how to get better, but uh, then later on, like you say, in the eighties. They started letting every kid play ball, whether they they were good at it or not. And then they would start handing out trophies for kids that had won absolutely nothing. And it, people who grew up in our area, we, we couldn't really understand it. I mean, it, it's it's good to have kids involved in sports and things like that, but just to give them things that they haven't earned. That, that, that didn't speak well for the direction this country was going in. Well, when we saw that in scouting, and yes, same thing, everybody can now be an Eagle Scout if yeah. you just stay in the program. The ones that suffered from that are the ones that really did develop, you know, personally and, and physically or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Cause it takes the luster off those who really do perform. Uh, we used to, Make note that only about 10% of the boys who joined scouting, less than 10 usually, became Eagle Scouts because it was a challenge. Yeah. And now it's, uh, and it has been for the last decade or so, every scout can be an Eagle Scout. And you know, there's always been special, uh, arrangements made for the truly handicapped. Mm-hmm. I mean, a child who was a polio victim in a wheelchair, he had a different program, but he could be an Eagle Scout if he, you know, worked at it. Yeah. 
but the kid who just doesn't uh, want to learn, doesn't want to develop, and uh, doesn't like to swim, you, you may advance and learn, but you're not going to be an eagle. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll you'll always be a little short. And uh, I've got some friends around the area who became the rank just before eagles called life scout. They got to be a life scout, but uh, one in particular who actually would be very well known in the area, uh, he could not do pull-ups. He was overweight and could not do one pull-up. And uh, we're supposed to go through uh, training and developing, and so eventually you can do five pull-ups yeah. to be an Eagles. He could never do that and didn't quite have the commitment to exercise and develop himself so he could so he never became an eagle scout today you know that that wouldn't happen many people will say that's good but for those who did try to be special and uh you know we've we've diminished their accomplishment when you give somebody a challenge and they work toward that challenge you know that's that, that's pretty much how we made it through World War II, when you think about it. Because once that challenge of when 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 the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, I mean, the president he 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 reached out to everybody, said, "We need you. We need you to start performing if we're going to survive." And they met that uh, challenge during that time. Well, I've been writing and reading a lot lately about the World War II generation. And it's hard to conceive how knowing full well that a significant percentage would not return, still the enthusiasm and the willingness to make the sacrifice for, what would you say, the greater good yeah. uh, is hard to understand from today's perspective. When it, if you don't look at the entire scope of what was happening in World War II, you would think that uh, these people that were flying the suicide missions or, or the people in, in the South Pacific, they were up against impossible odds, but yet they still came out very successful during that period. Um, a lot of that was from their leadership that they went through in organizations like the Boy Scouts. I mean, you think about it. They, a lot of them, they knew they were going to die, but they had a purpose in life during that time, and and that purpose was to save our country. And many of the men of that generation were scouts. Yeah. Uh, and had, you know, learned their patriotism in part through the scouting program. Yeah. So... It makes you wonder, doesn't it? When, when Khrushchev was banging his shoe on that desk, and he says, "We will uh, take you from the inside," basically is what he was saying. Uh, they would have groups that st- would start this anti-patriotism and all the other th- uh, negative things that we've seen go on in the last 25, 30 years. It's just unbelievable. It, 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 uh, I, I don't see how people can fall in that trap. But, uh, there are still, there's people pushing in today's world that they're trying to weaken our nation. And, uh, it, it's about time everybody joined hands and stuck together instead of, 
uh, worrying about what their particular groups are or something like that. Well, I saw an indication that we're still there during the last two days, beginning with the symphony and, and the reunion. Um, but you do have to look for it now. It's yeah. not automatic. This is a special community that we live in right here. And I think people are more united here than, than any other place I've been. And, and we have all the special things, just like uh, you guys. Uh, you're very strong in, in, in that special music that the symphony puts on. And uh, to, to everybody go and enjoy all those wonderful things that um, you, you can't see everywhere. I mean, there are... Uh, you think of the symphony as something for the elite people. But I have found differently being around you and Madrid and other uh, friends that I have that uh, it's for everybody. Oh, yeah. You just reach out, reach out for it. There's several cattle farmers in the audience. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but are, are they making any money? <laughs> What's the cost now? I mean, my goodness, bless your heart. My brother's gone to sheep farming. <laughs> they are smaller animals, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah. He said you can bring more money with sheep than you can yeah. anything. Well, in case some of our listeners want to get over to the courthouse for the program there, I think we're through for the you morning. You better hurry. And uh, um, Dalton, we got to run over to the courthouse right quick. Are you listening, Dalton? <laughs> oh, Brian, okay. We we gotta head out. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Truman. See ya. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.